0: If you got your Bible, you want to turn to Amos, we'll be in chapter 5 today, uh, looking at some very, uh, very serious words that God had for the people of Israel, Amos chapter 5, verse 18 uh, through 27. And what I hope that we're able to do by the end of our time here together this morning is to establish uh, from Scripture uh, what God wants for us. Uh, The the title of this sermon is What God Wants. It's from Amos chapter 5, verse 18 through 27. And as I was thinking about, praying through, beginning the thoughts around this message uh, a few weeks ago, the 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 movie from 2000, the year 2000, hit me. Uh, I will just say who's in the movie. I will not say the name of the movie. I am not endorsing this movie in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But Mel Gibson starred in a movie that came out in 2000 where he supernaturally, magically gained the ability to hear supernaturally what women were thinking what was he thinking putting that to use right on the surface that sounds like a very good thing like if we were able to know what other people are thinking that would potentially be a good thing right but for those who have unfortunately seen the movie you know that that led to some not so good things but but on the surface I mean I I would love to know sometimes what Candace is thinking sometimes probably not all the time um I don't have a problem with that because I I just tell her everything. So if I'm thinking something, I'm probably going to tell it to her. That's going to get me in trouble. Um, That gets me in trouble some. But but what person maybe, at least on the service, wouldn't say, you know what? I'd like to know what everybody else is thinking. I mean, think about it. you got a boss. It'd be nice to know what they're thinking. Like, how do I get this job done the way they want it done? Or you've got this relationship that you're in, a new friend, maybe a new dating relationship, teacher at school, co-worker, classmate, coach. What are they thinking? What are they thinking when they make that decision? Maybe it's the opponent, somebody you're up against. What are they thinking? What's their next move going to be? Or what's their next decision? We, we want to know what people are thinking. And, and as we think about this passage, and we're going to look at it in just a few minutes, I, I wonder how many of you could say, walk in this room and say, you know what? I, I know. I don't have to think about it. I know what God wants. Probably some of you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I know. What, I, could tell, I could tell the rest of the room some things that God wants. Luckily for us, we're going to learn that that we don't need a, a magician or a potion or some cataclysmic event uh, to know what God wants. because he tells us from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22, what he wants. He revealed himself to us through His Son Jesus Christ, and he's revealing more of himself to us today by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers and as a church family. And so this morning, we're going to draw on that and draw on those things to see a group of people that thought they knew what God wanted. A group of people known as the Israelites kind of set the table for you. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've got Amos, uh, not, not a religious leader, not, a, not, a, not, a, not a, a scribe or a part of the religious system. He was a farmer. He was a layperson. Um, and, and God gave him these words to give to the Israelites during a time when the Israelites were experiencing a, a great amount of prosperity, a great amount of security. And, and they were fully expecting at this time in their lives, at this time in their world, that, that the day of judgment was coming very soon. It was imminent. God had raised Israel up to this great place. They had accumulated all this wealth, all this security, and God was about to rain down judgment on everybody else That wasn't with the Israelites and wasn't with God. And they were going to get what was coming to them. And Amos, whose name means burden bearer, brings this this burden that God placed on his heart in the form of of a woe. You've heard the phrase, woe is me. It's just something very somber, very dark, very serious. And so at this time, when Israel is thinking they have it all figured out, and they're thinking that they know exactly what God wants, listen to what Amos says to them about what they were doing. So Amos is is quoting the Lord here and he says this, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? And kind of the core of the text that we're looking at here, these next several verses say this, I hate I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kiyun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. And so there's a couple of specific things that are happening in in Israel during this time that this woe from God through Amos to the Israelites is is addressing. See, See, they had made... The, the, the raising and the making of money, their priority, over their true worship of God. Now, we see here, they, they practice the, the acts of worship, the transactional things that God told them to do in response to their sin, in response to the holy calendar, all of the things that the, the, the Jews were supposed to follow. He says, I despise your feasts. They were doing the feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. They were gathering for worship. But, but, the, but the presence of God was not felt. It was not, not moving in their midst. You offer me your burnt offerings, verse 22, and your grain offerings, but God says, I will not accept them. Neither will I look upon the peace offerings. Even the noise of the songs, the things that were supposed to bring joy to the Lord, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not even going to listen to that. I'm not, it's not even worth listening to at this time. And then in verse 24, he, he, he gives us the verse that Martin Luther King Jr. quotes in the I Have a Dream speech that he gave. He says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, the Israelites thought that God wanted only what was, only what is happening right now in this room. The, the, the gathering of God's people to worship Him. The, the following of His commands in, in the assembly of the congregation, of the group of people. But God desired and wants so much more than that. Just, just as much as He wants us to be in a right vertical relationship with Him, He also wants and desires us to be in a right horizontal relationship with the world around us. And not just the people we like, and not just the people who are like us, but with everybody in the world. And that, that's not easy to do. Uh, sometimes I don't like the three other people in my house. I always love them, but sometimes I don't like them. And, and, and vice versa, sometimes they don't like me as well. And so as we think about those things and how those two things are in conflict with one another, but also how those two things go hand in hand with one another, that, that as, we, as we bring our praise, we bring our offerings of our lives and ourselves to the Lord and we lift up our praise to Him, we're also supposed to push out into the world and do the things that God has called us to do. And we're going to see some specific things in a minute from Scripture that He says He wants us to do. But the Israelites, they were, they were more about making money than worshiping God. And they were making their money at the expense of the poor that were being exploited in their time and the, the corrupt judicial system and the injustice that was flourishing. And God saying to the Israelites through Amos, let justice roll down like waters, a never-ending, ever-flowing stream of justice and righteousness. There should never be one without the other. They should work in tandem with one another. Had opportunity when I was student pastor here a few a few years ago uh, to to go with a group of our students to Colorado and we went whitewater rafting. anybody ever whitewater rafted before? Um, there, there was an unusually uh, high snowpack uh, that year, and, and so those those the, the snowpack at the top of the mountains uh, starts to melt, starts to come down the mountains into the streams. The, the creeks into the streams, the streams into the rivers, and they're in those medium-sized bodies of water where you can big enough to get a raft in. You can get in them with six of your friends and a guide at the back, paddles on both sides, life jackets, if you're really brave, you do the hardest level, you get a wetsuit that you can wear. You do all this and you, and you follow the current of this stream. Well, this particular year that we took our group, the, the snowpack was really high. And there were two places that the water was so high, we had to literally lay down inside the boat that we would not hit the the oil and gas pipes that were going across the creek and the bridges and stuff. There were cold places where the water was so high. If it had been any higher, we wouldn't have been able to do it that year. Um, everybody survived that trip. Some people fell in the water and got kind of cold, uh, but we made it. But seeing that, that current, that never-ending stream, and knowing that depending on which side of the Rocky Mountains that water is going to make it all the way to the Pacific Ocean or all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico, Uh, And then that water is going to raise up in the clouds and rain is going to come down in that ever-flowing stream of water that we have in nature. That's the image that God is giving the Israelites uh, through Amos here, that, that, that the justice and the righteousness that we as believers are called to live and walk in each and every day will just be an unending flow. And yet Israel's thinking, God's blessed us. We're rich. We're secure. We've got this figured out. The day of judgment is coming. All of God's enemies, all of our enemies are going to be judged, we're going to be lifted up and exalted. And then He just, as, as, as some might say, He puts them on blast. Just totally rips into them. I mean, listen to some of the language here. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It is, if, it is as if a man fled from a lion only to turn around and meet a bear. It's as if you go into your house, a place of safety, you put your hand on the wall to brace yourself and a snake bites you. The one place that you think that you're safe. This is the life that Israel, God's chosen people, were living in this time. They were sorely mistaken about what God wanted. And I think there's three things that you and I can learn from them this morning about the mistake of of maybe not fully understanding what God wants or thinking we have it figured out. And we see in Scripture that no, maybe we're not quite there yet. And the first one for you and I is this. The first thing you need to know today is there's no escaping God. See, I think that God has called some of us at different times in our lives to do things. And we've thought, you know what, if I obey God in this calling, in this task, in this place, in this moment, it's going to cost me something. And I don't want to give that up. I'm I'm afraid to obey God in this moment because I'm afraid of what it might cost me. And so we, we, we pretend that we don't hear God clearly or we don't understand what He's saying or we, we maybe neglect His Word or we ne- neglect prayer or we neglect time with Him because we know He's calling us to do something. We try to escape from Him. Maybe sometimes we do that intentionally. Maybe sometimes it happens unintentionally. We fill, fill that, that place in our lives that God should be present in, and we should be living in and walking through His plan for our lives with other things. We fill it with things that are not wrong, but they're not things that are of God. Uh, Sometimes we run in in, in disobedience and we run completely away from God and He calls us to repentance. But most of the time it's because we're afraid of what obeying God might cost us. Now, the second thing that I think we see, and and this is on display in this passage, is, is that there's no hiding from God. I think sometimes we can hide from God in our religious acts the way that the Israelites did. They were doing some of the things that God had called them to do. They were doing the feast. God said He despised them. They were gathering together in worship. He said, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. They were bringing their offerings to the Lord. He said, I will not accept them. They were singing songs and praising Him with their harps. And He told them He wouldn't listen. He said, I want to see justice. I want to see serving. I want to see mercy. And I want to see righteousness, holiness, true, genuine worship for God. I want to see both of those things in and through your lives. And then... Maybe those two things maybe are more for those of us as believers. And I know that many of you in this room have come to a, a time and a place in your life when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But maybe for, for some in this room, that hasn't happened yet. Maybe you have, have, have openly been running from or staying away from or, or, or disagreeing with, with Scripture by, by your actions and by your words. And maybe, maybe the reason is why you don't feel that God could love you. Because there's something in your life that might keep Him from loving you. I'm here to tell you this morning that God's Word teaches us that there's nowhere the love of God won't meet us. Many of us at, at times in our lives have thought, have felt that maybe we are too far from God to be loved by Him. But God loves us so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. He sent His only Son uh, to show us how to live our lives, to show us how to sacrifice, but then He paid the price that we deserve to pay. And so maybe this morning you're, 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 you're escaping God, you're hiding from God, it's because you've never ever experienced God's love personally in your life. Give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to do that. This morning, as we, as we gather here together today, I'm here to say that you, you don't need a, a magician, you don't need a potion, you don't need a spell uh, to, to, to enlighten you, to give you the power to know what God wants. You just get up each morning, you put your two feet on the floor, and you say, God, speak to me, and then you open His Word. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, there's 31,102 verses of Scripture that tell us what God wants from us. That tell us what God wants for us. That tell us what God wants for His world that He created, His creation, of which we are the utmost of His creation, human beings. See, He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you and I to know that He has a plan for your life. And He wants you and I to be faithful and obedient. That's, that, that's the summary of Scripture. God telling us, I love you. I've got a plan for you. And I want you to be faithful and obedient. Obviously this morning, many of you know that God loves you. Most of you, I hope, know that God has a plan for your life. I pray that you're living out that plan for your life. But, but I wonder this morning on those last two. God. So, what is it exactly that God wants me to be obedient in and faithful to? Where does He want me to be obedient? How does He want me to be faithful? He gets specific throughout Scripture. Here's several that I think that, 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 that all of us probably need to say, you know what, these, these are verses I need to know in my heart. These are verses I need to live out each day. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 tells us to love God with all we have. Summarize that verse. Love God with all you have. Proverbs 3, verse 5, tells us to trust God with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He'll make your path straight. Micah 6, verse 8, the questions ask, what does the Lord require of us? What does the Lord require of me? Act justly. There's that word again. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. So now we've gone from a transition from two things that involve our vertical relationship with God, loving Him with all of our heart, with all of us trusting him with all of our heart now when we get that portion of our relationship with God right now he says go outward act justly show mercy walk humbly with me in the world don't just keep this to yourself and then fast forward several books in the Bible to the life of Jesus before his crucifixion he's telling a group of his followers of what we now know and what we call as the greatest commandment Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 love God with all you have Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, 37-39. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Not just your immediate family. Not just your neighbors that you like. Everybody that God brings in your path. Love them the way that God loves you and the way that God loves them. And then after His death, His resurrection, before His ascension, He gives us what we refer to as the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. So what does God want? He wants you to love Him with all you have. He wants you to trust Him with your all your heart. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with Him. He repeats it through the person of Jesus. Love me with all you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself and go and make disciples. Share the good news of Jesus Christ, but don't stop there. As you have somebody in your family, somebody in your classmates, somebody, a teammate, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor that comes to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, maybe they're, they're new to the faith, you help them grow to be more like Christ. If you're new in the faith and you don't have anybody pouring into you, helping you, helping disciple you to be more like Jesus, there's plenty of people sitting in this room at our earlier services, on our staff that would love to connect you with somebody who wants to spend time with you and make a disciple of you. Make you, help you take steps to be more and more like Jesus Christ as we are obedient in that. And that's just six of 31,102 verses many of which tell us explicitly what God wants for us. And it's not just collectively. God doesn't just want this for us as a group of people, for us as a church, but He wants it for each of us individually. He wants each of us to be obedient and faithful in these areas, and He wants our church family to be obedient and faithful. Now this morning, I think that the, the, the thing that struck me the most as I, I, I prepared for this message, and I think the thing that, that stepped on my toes the most is this, is that I think that at times we can be like the Israelites. They had become focused on the wrong things. And I know that I can be guilty of sometimes being focused on the wrong thing. And I know that in conversations with some of y'all in our church family and things that we hear and discussions that we have about things that are happening in our world, maybe we can be focused on the wrong things as well. See, I wonder this morning, in the area of obedience and faithfulness, I wonder if we're more focused on and concerned with what a lost and dying world is doing outside the walls of this church that God's Word says not to do, than we are concerned with what God's Word tells those of us inside these walls to do outside these walls. See, this morning, yes, there are some horrific things happening in our world. There are lost people being sinners. But where are the saved people being disciples, making disciples? You see it in pockets, but, but as a staff and as a church family, we desire to see that all over downtown Conroe, all over this city, all over this county, and all the places that God calls us, that we, we want to be an army of hundreds, if not thousands, of faithful and obedient people focused on Yes, worshiping God, being in that right vertical relationship with Him, but yes, doing justice, serving, sharing our faith with the community around us. Let's be the church that does that. And so this morning, before we can be the church that does that, we as individuals each have to answer one of two or maybe two questions. And the first one is this: as we have a time of, of response in just a minute where we'll, we'll sing some more together, you may just need to pray where you are and ask God to reveal to you the answer to this question. God, where are you calling me to be more obedient? What, what area of my life do I need to be more obedient? What's something I need to stop doing? What's something I need to start doing? What's something I, I do that I need to do more of for you? Where can I be more obedient? And then the second question, you may be okay in that area, God may not show you anything in that area, but the second question, how can I be more faithful? And you say, well, that's just, that's just, me. That's just between me and God, but, but, but that plays out in action. As you interact with the world around you, as you do the things that God has called you to do, as God increases your faith, He uses you more in relationship with those around you. Sharing your faith, sharing the love of Jesus Christ with those around you. Does that mean every conversation you have with somebody has to go straight to the book of Romans chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 10? You just walk that Roman road with people? No. But but, but how you respond to to, to turmoil in your life, how you respond to somebody mistreating you, how you respond in every situation in this life is an opportunity for you to show someone the gospel by loving that person or, or responding in that situation the way that Christ would. So how is God calling you, how is God calling us as individuals to be more faithful?